Yeah. We got a full house Ooh. in there. Look at this. Wow. Have we? Yeah. Have we? Ooh, look at all them people. I haven't seen Tony Serna in a while. Welcome back. Yeah, party set. Let me see. Hello. 94F here, Tony. Hey, we've got someone who's a Marte. We've got a Marte desktop in there. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Welcome to Mintcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. From Backpain Central, it's Joe. Ooch, Joe. Hi, this is Tony, and I'm a world record holder. Yay! Ooh. Hi, I'm Norbert, but not the beaver. From the land of the CEOs, I'm Nishant. And I'm yet another Josh. Only the third or fourth one, right? And slowly fading away, I'm Leo. This is episode 370.5, recorded on Sunday, September 19th. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. If you see something you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. In our intersection... An introduction to the new folks that will carry on the show with Tony and Joe. And finally, the feedback and a couple of suggestions. So in this Linux innards, we're going to take a detour. And you've heard three new voices on the show today. So we're going to spend a little bit of time getting to know the new hosts a little bit more because, um, yeah, you're going to be hearing a whole lot more from them as we go on. Every episode, there'll be a new voice. So uh, we'll start with the question, what got you into Linux? So, Josh, we'll start with you. What, what, what drew you to Linux in the first place? Uh, because Windows is so easy. I don't know why you would leave. <laughs> Actually, that is where I came from. Uh, my uh, purpose for my PCs was always primarily gaming. So, uh, yeah, I was a Windows user, um, not out of any allegiance to Microsoft. It was just a piece of software that was necessitated to game. But um, as a result, I was, you know, on a lot of general tech forums. And um, on these forums, they would usually have a couple of people that were uh, Linux heads, and they went pretty hard for it. <laughs> so uh, one night I got a little curious about what uh, all the ruckus was that uh, these folks were so impressed with, so I decided to uh, do a little search engine foo and um, checked out what the best uh, distro was, I guess, even though I wasn't really aware of uh, distros at that point, just uh, looking how to install Linux. and. Um, Came up with Ubuntu, like probably most people would, and um, put a little partition on the end of my drive and put it on there and uh, started using it. And at first it was a bit of a novelty and I used it uh, sparingly, but over time, as I got more comfortable with it, uh, it just kind of rolled on and it started taking over more and more of my time. And I got really interested in it and did the deep dive and the distro hopping and all the things that we all tend to do once we uh, get in over our heads. 
And uh, yeah, that was it. I was pretty much hooked. So for, for gaming, do you tend to game only on Linux or do you still split that time a little bit with Windows? I still have a Windows installation for games that just uh, won't run on Linux at all or it requires just too much effort or perhaps too much of a performance penalty. But um, it's very rare that I boot into it. And um, as I've gotten older, of course, gaming has taken a little bit of a backseat to other yeah. things. But uh, yeah, when I uh, when I game, I try to do it on Linux if I can. But if I can't, you know, I'm a pragmatist to some degree, and uh, I'll use Windows. Yeah, I mean, I don't see I don't see having a Windows partition for gaming any differently than I see an Xbox in the corner under a TV. It's the same right. kind of thing, and you're using it just for games. Um, well, for the most part, I mean, uh, but there's there's still nothing wrong with using Windows for other purposes too. But that's the way I see it. It's it's a glorified Xbox for me, so that's how it gets used. Yeah, likewise. Nishan, what about you? What got you into Linux? Seen, uh, seeing my friends replace Windows on the lab computers at college. Ah, peer pressure. <laughs> That's cool. That's really cool. And to be honest, one of the guys who was a total nerd in technical things, he now works for Linux Foundation and goes to Linux Foundation uh, conferences. Wow. So, so being a Linux advocate turned into a job. Yes, kind of a That's job it is for him. That's cool. Did that friend have permission to put Linux on the lab computers? <laughs> we used to do it. We used to do it discreetly, like undercover, <laughs> shadowy stuff. No permission, nothing. But uh, sometimes what used to happen is when they used to install software updates for Windows, they used to wipe the Linux off. We used to install it completely to replace the Windows. Yeah. Yeah, that's what imaging is for. They can fix it fairly simply, but uh, yeah, another line item to do today. And uh, I started using uh, Ubuntu as a daily driver starting in 2015 with the Dell Vostro 3558, which came out of the box with Ubuntu 14.04. It And then three years I used it. Then I took a hiatus in like 2018 due to work and everything. Then I restarted using Linux in 2019 or 2020, around when this pandemic hit, and I didn't have anything to do, but then they show up and try. That's cool. And now here I am having um, like 50% Windows, 50% Linux partition. That's pretty cool. Till I upgraded to a 90% Linux, 20%, 10% Windows. That's the goal. And like Josh said, gaming. I prefer yeah. Windows because latest and greatest games don't run like this, which are going to be released this year, for example. We're hoping that Proton will fix that for us, but mm, I'm, I'm going to keep hoping. I'm just going to keep hoping, and one day we might be 99. Well, what I read about what I read about Proton is they're like lagging behind in the DirectX support. What I've noticed with running games on Proton in Linux is that it just the the frame rates are slower. It's a little less crisp. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, so uh, to compare two games which released last year and this year, the like the Formula One games, tw F1 2020 ran at 60 FPS on Proton. That to a custom Proton, not the Steam provided one. The glorious egg roll modification. Right, right. It ran at 60 FPS without any glitch. But the 2021 game, it just the intro came and it, then it crashed. Oh, no. from my testing so far on linux yeah that's where the tweaks come in and those come a little slower but um 
they'll they'll get there. I imagine that I stuff will so. get uh, sorted out and come a little faster. And then after Ubuntu, my second distro was Fedora 32, nice. 32-33. And that got me into system admin. Nice. Well, let's hear a little bit about Norbert and what got you into Linux. What was the catalyst there? Well, my first my first encounter with Linux was uh, trying out Ubuntu 9.04 in a VM back in those days. And then I... I didn't really go anywhere, uh, uh, any further other than just trying out. Uh, I had a bit of a struggle installing it, and I realized there's something called Intel virtualization technology we have, which you have to enable in the BIOS. After I got through that, uh, I installed it, and uh, I haven't really used it, but I did check out a few years later Ubuntu 10.10 Maverick Meerkat, which is still my favorite Ubuntu uh, code name by far, but. I didn't really go anywhere with that one either. Fast forward many years to the spring of 2019. Uh, I'm a biology student, and since uh, coding and programming is more and more prevalent in biology, I took a Python class, but I did not have a laptop at the time, so I managed to get a fairly low-spec laptop, and I was trying to find an OS that would run properly on it. So my choice fell on Linux Lite because of the name, I assume, because it has Lite in the name, it must be for lower spec hardware. Uh, I, I guess I was right because it has XFCE, which of course I didn't know at the time. I didn't really know if you asked me back then to list any distros I knew, it would have been Ubuntu and OpenSUSE. Only those two. So uh, for that one semester I used the laptop, but then I didn't really stick with it. And I didn't really learn how to do anything Linux specific other than installing stuff using apt. Uh, fast forward again to this, the autumn of 2020, when I started my uh, bioinformatics masters, and uh, right on the first week, the, one of the first things we were told is to download WSL because we were going to working be working in a in remote on servers, and then I did that and I moved to using a Ubuntu virtual machine because I I felt it would be more convenient then. I was looking for, I was looking to get a laptop because I knew eventually we were going to go back to uh, in-person learning. So I wanted to have a laptop and then I realized I don't really have any reason to put Windows on it because the main reason I depend on Windows is using the Adobe suite. Uh, and I wouldn't do that on a laptop because it didn't have a dedicated uh, GPU. So I put Ubuntu 20.0, on it and uh, I was so out of touch with anything Linux related, then that I booted up Ubuntu, which of course uh, was running uh, GNOME 3.38 or 36, and I looked at it and my first impression was, mm, that's Unity. So I went ahead and, <laughs> and began uh, installing uh, GNOME Shell, which actually worked. So then I had two different uh, GNOME sessions in the, in the login manager. One is the regular Ubuntu one and one is the Vanilla GNOME. So when I lo- I logged into the Vanilla GNOME session and I realized GNOME software was just gone, replaced by something that's called the Snap Store. And I was oh, like, what's yeah. the Snap Store? And then, <laughs> then I tried to bring back the Ubuntu Store. I, of course, didn't know anything about Universal Package Managers. Then I tried to install Chromium because I was oh, like... Oh, there it was. That's the I, one. I was using Chrome on the desktop on Windows. I didn't see really see any reason to use it on the laptop because using Chrome, Chromium was just much more convenient and it was 
calling for a snap. What's a snap? I thought. And then I tried to remove snaps altogether, but, but when you try to install Chromium with no snaps, it just reinstalls snap. So mm-hmm. one of my friends who was using Arch at the time, uh, he's a programmer and his very first distro that he was using properly was actually Arch. Because I guess if you're a programmer, it's it's easier to get into Linux that way. And he recommended me Manjaro because it's Arch-based. He never actually used Manjaro, but he was familiar with Arch. And then I switched to Manjaro after literally one day in Ubuntu. And I stuck with Manjaro for five months. Uh, in the meanwhile, I was using Debian and uh, Bunsen Labs uh, VMs on my main computer. Bunsen Labs is actually one of my favorite distros because it has a really nice pre-configured uh, open box setup. And it also uses really, uh, really resources. So whenever I need a VM for something, I will always, almost always go with Bunsen Labs. Then after five years on Manjaro, Manjaro GNOME to be specific because I, the laptop I got was, I wanted to have a two-in-one laptop with a touch screen. And I remember, I think more than 10 years ago when GNOME and Unity came out, I wasn't using Linux, but somehow the news of these two desktop environments uh, reached me. And I actually tried uh, the very first GNOME 3 version in a VM. And I really liked it, I guess, mainly because I never used GNOME 2 for anything. Yeah, you didn't have the attachment. Yeah, that, that so many people did. That's why my first thing was my first thing on my mind was installing GNOME 3 after I didn't know after I got Ubuntu, I didn't know it actually had GNOME 3 already. So after Manjaro, I got curious and I tried to install Arch in a VM, then on actual hardware. And that was when I realized it already had GNOME 40 because they have a lot of new stuff in their repos. And then slowly, I, I first ever wasn't sure about GNOME 40, but I grew to like it because the new touchpad gestures are amazing. So that was the point when I thought, okay, this is probably the best possible uh, combination for me on the laptop Arch with GNOME because I like both. I like the convenience of the AUR. And that was around the time when I realized I wanted to use Linux on my desktop as well. So I wanted to try XFC. I never tried XFC before and my choice was MX Linux. And that was, nice. that's, that's when I fall in love in, fell in love with XFC. It's, it's still, my uh, daily driver, the XFC environment today. I also tried Endeavor and Void Linux, which was very interesting. And still now, I think I've been on Void Linux for three months now. It was interesting because it feels way, way more minimal than Arch. So I was curious to see if I can daily drive Void without bumping into the problems of not having packages available. I think the biggest issue for me was not having Brave available, but then and I found a script called xdeb, which can convert deb files to xbps files, which uh, the Void Linux package manager can handle. So after that, everything was very clean. It uh, uses all resources. So I think Void is now my top favorite distro. If it, it went before Arch. That's and I think cool. I've been talking t- for too long. <laughs> no, you're good. Yeah. It's good. It's a good story to hear, but I'll hand it to Tony yeah. and we'll scooch on. Yeah, I'm going to stay with uh, Norbert to start off with. Um, so the next question is, what drove you to say yes to being on Minkcast when we put the call mm-hmm. out on the last show? <laughs> yeah, well, since it's the beginning of a new term, uh, a university, it's right about my one year uh, uh, anniversary with using Linux. And last year, I actually found Linux user space and DistroPress Digest separately. And then I found Mintcast. And I was surprised to see all of these people who I heard 
in separate shows to be in one big show. So yeah. it, was, it, it was an epic crossover episode. And then Mincast cool. slowly became my go-to uh, podcast when I wanted to listen to the back catalog of a podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I started attending the live uh, streams. And it w- I just found it was there. It was a really nice community and it a really nice atmosphere. And uh, thank you very much. Yes. Nice. And then I when I uh, attended these uh, roundtables, these everyone can join and talk uh, streams. I didn't really expect to be recruit- recruited, but <laughs> here I am. <laughs> yeah. That just kind of happened. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Josh. Why did you say yes? Why did you put your head above the parapet? I like the question because it's it's um it's not why did you decide you wanted to join Mintcast? It's how come you said yes when I asked you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of an unexpected uh, but pleasant surprise. Uh, that was actually the first roundtable I'd ever um, jumped into, and I think I got in there a little bit late. Uh, yeah, I wasn't expecting it, but um, it was a fantastic surprise, and. Um, as uh, Mint is my main operating system, uh, the Mintcast has been a main podcast for me for news and a source for, uh, well, Mint news and general Linux news. So been a fan for a long time and to get the chance to come in here and talk with everyone. Yeah, why not? Couldn't possibly go wrong, right? Hey, right? <laughs> oh, you're, it'll go wrong. It'll go wrong. As I've demonstrated already. <laughs> That's what editing is for. Right. So finally, Nissan, what made you say yes to joining the podcast? Awesome hosts, Tony, Leo, and Joe, making like every episode which I watched before saying yes, I've had like amazing experience with you guys. Even though if I was just chatting with Leo on most of the shows and Joe, so that's it. So I want, actually, I wanted to go mainstream with my Linux knowledge because my friends regard me highly in the community, like technology community that, you know, Linux well, cyber, you know, a, a lot about cybersecurity as well. So that's I wanted cool. to hey, go good. mainstream. So- so someone can take over the security update then and be as passionate as me when I scream and uh, stamp my feet about terrible, terrible things like WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah, because that's not me. <laughs> I don't know about that thing about going mainstream. I've been here three years and I still know <laughs> so it's all about Linux. It's all about the Twitter game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like uh, my main idea to join Mintcast was like share with my own knowledge with like-minded people. Even though I don't run Mint, Linux Mint, but that's fine. All users of Linux. (laughs) That's the main thing. And I think, um, you know, bringing the the, the huge breadth of knowledge and experience and everything uh, into one show is fantastic. This would look really (laughs) good on my resume going forward. Hey, well, then that's good. That's good. I mean, well, I mean, technically it's public speaking, right? I mean, in front of a... I would say live studio audience, but, uh, you know, whatever, like a live stream audience. And it's something that goes out and a lot, a lot of people here all of the time. Mm. So um, at the end of that question, I just wanted to say um, thank you all for uh, you know, answering the call and coming on here, no matter um, no matter how much it uh, it hurts, because I remember the first episode of Mintcast that I was on and uh, nervous doesn't quite encapsulate it. It didn't quite encapsulate it for me. Uh, it was a little bit more than that. So 
Was that your was that your first podcasting experience? Real though? live, yeah, absolutely. It it absolutely okay, was. Episode yeah. what was it two ninety one two ninety two or whatever it was seventy something. I don't know. Okay, and can can I have a shout out for my brother Prashant because he helped me with Arc Linux installation. He's a nerd when it comes nice. to Arc. Got it. Shout you, out you always have to shout out all the nerds on the show. That's the whole point. <laughs> yeah, he helped me set up Arch before I discovered the Arc install script, like the tough cool. one. And he has maintained Arc for two years without breaking it. Wow. On his computer. First time I installed Arch, I was so proud of myself. I was so satisfied that I learned that this is about something called Gentoo. And I realized, <laughs> <laughs> realized there's, there's a deeper rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't want to compile that much. Linux from scratch. They just Pretty give much. you a book to read and do everything. <laughs> so, should we move on to Joe? Yeah. Okay. Well, the next question is what do you love the most about Linux? Nishant? I love the different desktop environments you can use, plus the continuously going on kernel upgrade, unlike Windows, which is stuck at NT7. Last I saw on Windows. 10. It was NT7 something, but Linux kernel development keeps on moving forward with time and patches. Mm, cool. Uh, Norbert? And one more thing, the variety of distributions I can contribute code to any time of the day. I love that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Being able to contribute. Norbert, well, how about you? While I was growing up, there were, in my mind, there were two kinds of toys. There was Lego and not Lego. So... <laughs> I think it's not a surprise that my favorite thing about Linux is modularity, and I really like yes. to. I really like uh, installing a minimal system and try to build it up from there. Um, and I mean, I also like how it is very transparent and privacy respecting. Uh, recently, I tried Zorin OS, and in the installer, it asks you whether you want to take participation in the in the. I'm not sure it, what's it in English, in the headcount of how many people install the OS. And it even asks that. So, yeah, I, I just like how, I, just, I like how Linux operating systems are geared toward appealing to the community because it, it is mainly community driven. driven. Yeah. I mean, it, without your community, your distro is nothing. So it's it's important to actually do those kinds of things. And yeah, I appreciate those kinds of questions as well. Uh, if you ask me, I'll say yes. If you don't, I'll go in and turn it off. <laughs> so this is the reason why he uses Arc all the time, modularity. Hey, maybe. That's it, right? I mean, you you choose. I think that covers it. Okay. Well, Josh, how about you? What do you love most about Linux? Ah, all the things. <laughs> but if uh, I have to choose one, it's probably the communal aspect. Um, I think that uh, the fact that anyone can contribute the fact that you can go in and talk to a, a lead dev and have a conversation and actually have sway, uh, you know, within the community. Um, it's an amazing thing. Uh, something that you probably won't find in any other, uh, well, certainly not in proprietary software. Yeah. Go, go tell um, Apple what you want them to do. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I just love that. I love the fact that anyone can contribute despite their skill level and the symbiosis that exists between the developers and the user base. And, uh, yeah, community and uh, collaboration is kind of at the heart of Linux, and uh, I just don't see how it could exist without that. That's cool. Yeah, most people who run Linux do so because they choose so. 
And that's really right. nice. It's a really nice thing because I think a lot of Linux users might know more about more about Windows than Windows the average Windows user, which is interesting. Yeah, well, I think you have to because you have to know at least a little bit to get it on your machine in the first place. So that opens up the door. And if you're someone that likes to tinker, it just it's a can of worms that you'll never get out of. So the show will I won't say that the show will change, but the show will I don't know. Well, there'll, there'll be additions and there'll be removals, right? I mean, yeah, there you go. Evolve. Evolve. So, Evolve. Josh, I'll start with you. Where do you want Mintcast to go over the next 12 months? So let's say that both uh, all, all three of y'all are going to stick around for the whole year. And I guarantee there'll be suggestions that you have, things that you do that are different than the way that uh, certainly I did things or Joe and Tony did things. What what do you think you'll you'll do, or where do you want Mincast to be in the next twelve months? Well, if I can give you guys a little bit of adulation first, I think you've done a fantastic job with the show, and I just I love it in the format that it exists right now. Woo! And <laughs> as a bit of a conservative type of person, um, you know, I'm I'm hoping that it continues on in this uh, sort of format with perhaps some iterative changes. I know there's going to be some changes in the voices that people hear, but uh, I really enjoy it as is. And um, I'm not much of a prognosticator. I just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my strong suit. So Hey, that's all right. Yeah. All you got to do is just say yes when somebody else has a change or no otherwise, right? Because, uh, <laughs> right. yeah, you'll be all right. There you go. So, Norbert, where, where do you want to see Mintcast go in the next year? Well, one of the highlights of the show so far has been the interviews you guys do, because I think out of the many, several Linux podcasts that I listen to, you guys tend to find the most interesting people to interview. So I think I would like to have more of those interviews. All right. And I know, Joe, you were talking about uh, bringing Toyum from the Void Linux project, and that goes right to you, Norbert. So this will be a pretty good opportunity. No, Toyam was talking to me the other day saying he got a, a new recording rig and, and wanted to oh. try it out. So I'm going to try and get him on the, on the show. Well, that'll make things really easy on the editing side. So heck yeah, that'll be a really interesting conversation. I, um, I, I look forward to that one. So Nishant, what about you? What, what would you, if you had to change something, what, what, what would you change in the next year? Uh, do a bit more kernel-only reviews, like keeping the distribution same. Oh, okay. Uh, just a thought. I'm not like forcing you guys to change the whole show just for that. Well, you you say the show like it's not yours. It's yours now as well. And if um I mean really the way that I would do things is put it to everybody first. And if I mean if we had an overwhelming no, it just wouldn't happen. So I, I think that's just that's the way to do it, right? Put it out to the hosts as a whole and decide where you want it to go or whether or not it changes in form by the time you you make that change in the show. You guys haven't been informed yet, but you're going to be picking the topics for the (laughs) next several shows. Well, we have a lot already kind of queued up because we were talking about a lot of things. Uh, Norbert, you had a couple of different topics that we could really dive into. You mean? Yeah, the in in the Linux energy, you know, we just take take a half hour and talk about random stuff, um, usually tech related. I mean, I would love to talk about uh, do it yourself Linux tablets. Yes, absolutely. well, that's Joe. So Joe will help you write the half of the show. So that'll work out perfectly. So yeah, just new topics and new things that you bring to the table are going to be are, are going to be really interesting. Okay, but for the biweekly wanderings, what I can do is like test new kernels and then review it like on biweekly hey. wanderings. 
Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say, as far as doing kernels, there's nothing wrong in doing a say an innards one episode on a, a particularly a big kernel update that has a major effect, say on Nvidia or something like that. Someone running it as a as a trial to see what it like and giving it, like you say, doing a review on it. That'd be great. And it- yeah. And they're also out-of-band kernels, right? Like Xanmod and Zen that don't really get much play in the Ubuntus. Just because you have to go out and do them yourself, they just they tend to just fall to the wayside a lot of times. So, and I know, yeah. Arc Linux, Linux, Zen also doesn't get noticed much. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. If we do a show like that where you're the subject matter expert for it, then you'll do most of the talking and we'll occasionally ask some questions to help drive things forward. Yeah. And that will be the show. Yeah. That's pretty cool to me. That would be the innards for that show, yeah. Cool. That's how I see Linux Mint in the next one year or two years or three years. Cool. So, uh, over to me, I think, with the next question. Uh, keeping with Nissan, uh, what's your current favorite distro? Distro or desktop environment? No, distro. Currently, my favorite distro is Ubuntu Mate, hands down, for its battery efficiency on AMD hardware with the default kernel, cool. not not the newer kernels, but that's wow, cool. Cool. Yeah, I love uh I love me a bit of Marte and when I've installed Ubuntu uh, Marte I've always enjoyed it. Yeah. I could never convince you to get on cinnamon. I couldn't do it. <laughs> Mint probably does it a little bit nicer, but you know, that's my personal opinion. That's why I stick with it. But uh, yeah, it's a good distro, yeah. Okay, one advantage here that the power saving tools are already installed, like TLP and everything on right. Ubuntu Mate. That is nice. Cool. Yeah, that is nice. I, I've just done that reinstall of Mate uh, this evening, and I had to install TLP. So, uh, <laughs> if you ask me, Arc based, it has to be uh, Endeavor OS, hands down. Uh, another good distro. Yeah, I've got Endeavor running as well. Yeah, you and Tony are going to get along just. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, Josh, what would your uh, favorite distro be? I think I already know the answer to this. I'm guessing you probably do, yeah. It's <laughs> Linux Mint Cinnamon. Whoa, yeah, cool. Just love Man it. after so, my own heart. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't fault you for that one. <laughs> right there with you, Leo. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, it's uh, so easy to set up and use and fully featured. Uh, yeah, it's just really pleasant, so... Always been rock solid for me. I can't uh, can't complain. You customize it in any way? Not too much. It's pretty well set out of the box. You know, I theme it up a little, and um, I think primarily with just a dark theme, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah that's, what I, that's what I like about about the uh, the mint uh, spins. You know, cinnamon mate, whatever. That you don't have to do an awful lot of uh, tweaking around with it. It does work out the box. Yeah, and for me, I just push it out of the way. I mean, I make things really, really small, push it up to the top, and that's make it transparent, and that's pretty much it. I <laughs> I see very little of cinnamon ever. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> that's cool. I think the only issue with Mint which I had was the newer hardware support because I'm on yeah. an AMD, 2021 yeah. AMD processor. That's so it. If, it, if it works on Mate, then you can get the Edge version of Linux Mint, and it'll have the same kernel that the newest versions of uh, Ubuntu have as well. So okay. th- there's a workaround. It's not perfect, but it's a, it's a pretty decent workaround. I would have to then get used to Cinnamon because it's no, the you only can, one. There's which... Mate as well. 
Edge. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. Cinnamon, uh, the Edge only does come with cinnamon. You're right. Uh, right. Okay. okay. So, Norbert, what about you? What would you say your favorite distro is after talking about all those ones that you've tried all over the last uh, 12 months? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I've been, I kind of still am a chronic distro hopper. And uh, I've been sort of on two different missions. One was trying to find the perfect uh, distro for me on my desktop and finding the perfect distro that is the most convenient to use uh, on my tablet. And the, my laptop is also there, which I've also uh, recently started using again because of uh, university. And I've I start sort of started gearing away from distros that are kind of set up for you, but you have to do some tweaking like Debian. And I took more interest in both very minimalistic distros like Void and very user-friendly distros like, uh, for example, Fedora. Uh, the latter is because I really want to have a go-to recommendation for people who are not very tech-savvy but want to change from Windows. And I think in that field, Fedora, since they switched to GNOME 40, might be my uh, favorite one so far. Wow. Uh, it's kind of a cool. shame that... Uh, one has to uh, enable RPM Fusion by hand. Yeah. And also, it does have Flatpak built into the software store, but you have to still add uh, the Flathub by, by hand. But if you do those two th- things, it's I think it's one of the most uh, convenient distros for people yeah. who don't really want to do uh, tech, techy stuff. Uh, I would say my favorite distro overall would be Void Linux because I really like its simplicity, but it's still not harder to get stuff done. Uh, like I said, right. I mainly use it with XFCE, which is, I know it doesn't have a, an official DE, but it's still, I still kind of consider it to be very fitting for Void. And uh, their repos are surprisingly big. For example, there's stuff like Ulauncher, which I use, that are not in the Debian oh, repos, right, but, right. They, but it is in the Void repos. And uh, so far it has basically almost everything that I need. And I also like how in idle my computer uses only 500 or so gigs of RAM. And that's with NVIDIA drivers. And I do have to mention that I think out of the distros I tried, Envoid is where I had the least amount, number of problems with the NVIDIA drivers. Because before that I was using Endeavor and it has a different way of uh, installing NVIDIA drivers than Arch. And for some reason it didn't really work well. It had some issues with the performance, the graphic performance. So right now I'm happy with Void. And I do like to keep Arch around because of uh, the UR. And uh, we have to use uh, some obscure software for university stuff uh, in bioinformatics, like stuff for analyzing. Uh, for example, when they sequence genomes and DNA, these are basically you get a lot of very big text files, like a, text, a plain text file that is many megabytes or even up to a gigabyte many gigabytes in size. And uh, so programs to analyzing those, for example. And so far I found everything in AOR that I didn't expect to find there. So I would say Arch is a very uh, good choice for people who are uh, work or study uh, uh, natural sciences. So I would say, I would say number one is void. Number two is Arch. Uh, If the NVIDIA uh, stuff work better on Endeavor, I might put Endeavor above Arch. But uh, right now, and I also have uh, have to give a shout out to MX Linux, which is also very nice. And they also have a very convenient uh, NVIDIA driver installer. Nice. <laughs> cool. Well, so, MX is Debian-based, isn't it? Yes. So all Debian-based distros have a easier way to install NVIDIA graphics, what I have found. 
from running Ubuntu and its derivatives, Debian itself. So it's always easy on a Debian-based distro. Yeah. Okay, Joe, do you want to take the final question? Okay, uh, what's your current favorite desktop environment? I'm going to start with you, Norbert. Well, I would have probably said XFC, but uh, lately I've been leaning towards the budget desktop, which is because I really like the the GNOME settings menu, which uh, is the one that is also used in budget. So on anything where I have to use a touchscreen or, any, or I have to rely on using the touchscreen, I think GNOME is by far the best because either that or KD Plasma, which are the two main ones that have a uh, valence support. But uh, if I want to, for example, the other day, my, my uh, keyboard for the tablet uh, temporarily died for a couple of hours. And if I was running Plasma, I would have had no choice but to plug uh, use an external keyboard. But GNOME uh, is very, it's very well suited for a touchscreen by default to be used mm-hmm. only by touchscreen. And on the desktop, I think I stuck with XFC because I wanted to see how minimal I can get a distro while still not going to uh, using uh, a, a window manager, sticking with a DE and also having a low RAM usage. And on my tablet, I have to I had to realize that low RAM usage, uh, usage then doesn't equal low battery usage. So I was shocked when I realized how, right. how much longer uh, it lasts with Windows on it. So I'm also on a mission to extend my battery life on my tablet. So cool. I think I would Another say <laughs> I think I would say XFC GNOME and Budgie. Okay. Now um, I have noticed that GNOME is actually uh, really really good for a touch screen, but um, I, I still like using Cinnamon even with a touch screen. It just requires quite a bit of tweaking to work well, mostly with the bar and the sizes. Now. Um, Nishant, what is your favorite desktop environment? Okay, there are a couple of DEs which I actually like. And uh, does this include Window Manager too? Uh, whatever you want. Okay, so first I would like to say that my overall favorite DE is GNOME because I like to tinker a lot with settings and everything. So I enjoy GNOME. Like Norbert said, do it yourself, Linux desktop environment. So, and second shout out to the Mate team, especially the Ubuntu version. And yeah, I uh, usually com- install Mate on like all of my devices. Yeah, but Ubuntu version is like optimized for battery life and lightweight usage. And uh, window manager i3wm has to be the favorite window manager for me. The tiling window managers, if you consider. Oh, and uh, Josh, what's your favorite desktop environment? I'm sure no surprise here, but Cinnamon, um, it just mimics that Windows uh, desktop paradigm that I was so used to throughout the years. Windows XP feel. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, also one of the uh, few DEs that I never experienced screen tearing on at all. It seems like they've really got that worked out well um, right out of the box. So, yeah, not a lot of tinkering to set up. It's just there and good to go and... uh, Makes for a real pleasant experience. I just realized I would love to have a Linux Mint budget edition. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. If if Cinnamon were ever to leave, I would I would budget would be my my fallback if I were going to stay on GTK. Okay, a question: Does Ubuntu have Cinnamon edition at this point of time? It's a it's yes. still technically a remix. It's not official, but yes, they do. 
Yeah, we had we had the developer on for an interview. Mm-hmm. He's he was what, Josh Pesak, another Josh. Yeah. How old was he? Fifteen at the time. 14? Yeah, if yeah, that. Yeah, he was he was wow. a young guy. Even the Ubuntu Ubuntu Unity dev is as young as him, fifteen, sixteen, I guess. Yeah, and that that was a couple of years ago. So I think the uh, the Ubuntu Unity dev is younger than Josh Pesak is. But um, yeah, it's been uh, that was a really cool conversation. They also right. plan to well, fork Unity itself, which is rather interesting thing to look forward to. Yep, definitely. So I guess that'll wrap up the Linux innards section. So as we as we hit more and more episodes, you're going to learn more and more about these three guys. And um, yeah, I, I imagine you'll fall in love with the all-new Mintcast. But until then, we'll head down to the vibrations from the ether. So we got a couple emails, and the first one comes in from, uh, and I know this is likely not Michael, so uh, this might be Mikel or Michelle. I don't know. I hope I get one of those right at least. But um, they write in, first, I've been a lurker on your podcast for quite a while, and as a Linux Mint user for many releases, I've learned a lot from the podcast. After your Debian 11 discussion on Mintcast 369 livestream, first time watching it, I have a personal experience with Debian 11. My environment, three laptops on Linux Mint, of which one of the laptops is partitioned with LMDE and Debian 11, and one media server running until recently Debian 10. Second, I tried Flatpak a few releases back, and it was crap, as it did not see anything beyond its own environment. So I'll stop right there real quick. Flat seal will help you figure uh, figure that stuff out. Um, I don't think Flatpaks by, by default... Uh, can see anything in the system. Uh, they can see your home folder if they ask for that permission in the first place. But with flat seal, you can go in and specify, yes, you can see this. No, you cannot see this. Um, Snap can do this too, but it's a little more involved and you have to be on an Ubuntu distro to get that by default. Otherwise, you have to go install the Snap Store, I think. So um, yeah, anyway, uh, they continue on listening to the podcast and how you guys were really excited about it. I gave it another try. Well, it was a completely great experience compared to my previous one. I've since been very pro Flatpak since on Linux Mint, LMDE, and Debian. Yes, that's that's the that's the right way to see the light. Anyway, uh, my bad experience on the Debian 10 server. I upgraded to Debian 11 after a short time. Samba shares died on the Apple TV. Next, the NFS NFS shares no longer connected to the laptops with some bizarre stuff. The NFS shares dying did it for me. I flushed Debian 11 from the server and installed Ubuntu Server 2004 on the media server. NFS shares are okay, and Samba shares are okay. Well, almost. Debian 11 non-free on the laptop and Flatpak are great. I pretty well have all my required apps on Linux Mint 20.2 working great on Debian 11 and LMDE 4. Thank you, everyone. Much appreciate Mintcast, a great Linux users podcast. Thank you very much for the uh, for the props on that. and. I mean, I, that was pretty much uh, my experience too, though. I wasn't on Debian. I was on OMV to go from one to uh, Ubuntu. But yeah, now we're both sitting on Ubuntu, sharing our files across the network, and that's the, that's the way to do it. I think it's the way to do it. It's good stuff. So thank you very much. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll head down to the next email. Looks like, Joe, you'll take that one. Yep, this is from uh, Brad Alexander. And he says, since I've been working from home and since I have no intention of changing that happy state of affairs, 
I find that I spend a lot less time in the car commuting to and from work. And since I do, I consume my podcast more slowly. So what used to last me a week or so when I was commuting now takes me two-ish weeks to go through. I'm there with you. So the way things are now, since I am listening on a Linux device with Gpotter, the .5 episode comes first. So I was wondering if you could add a .0 to the News Wanderings episode title so that it falls alphabetically. Thanks, guys. And uh, Leo, between you and Owen, can we do that? I I don't particularly care. Um, I feel like because I'm exiting, uh, I don't get a vote. So I will leave it to you five to decide how you want the file names. Basically, what he's talking about is uh, when an episode releases, it's either, uh, like, say, take last episode, it was 369, and then I release it um, as 369.5 for the second half. My question, though, is why does G. Potter not do it chronologically? That yeah. It shouldn't matter what the file name is because it should be showing them to you as they are released and in that order. That's really weird. I've never seen another podcast app do it not chronologically. Even right. even if when I, you're looking at like the overview of like all the podcasts you have to listen to, they all come in via date. So, uh, I'll, I'll, like I said, I'll leave it up to you. How do y'all's podcast catchers deal with it? Mine is chronological, but uh, my podcatcher is my phone too. So, right, well, right, of course. And uh, I've not used G Potter, but I have used GNOME Podcasts, and that does it the same way. And that's on the desktop. So, and sometimes the way uh, alphabetizing works, I mean. If it ends at before the point, then that that should be higher up in the list than something that has more characters. So right, it, it's so, weird that that's yeah. It it yeah. I think it really kind of is. So I don't I don't know. Um, but again, I'll let y'all five decide what you want to do with it. Um, and of course, I mean, I'll be here to support. That's that's the whole thing, right? I might be not a voice on the show, but I'll still be uh rummaging through things in the background, making things go smooth. So. Uh, I'll I'll stick around and whatever y'all decide to implement, that's what I'll do. Oh, by the way, Joe, it's it's not a problem. It it is quite literally typing two extra characters, so do not yeah. consider that as part of a. Oh, it'll be a lot of work. No, it won't. Oh no, um, no, no. y'all just have to decide how you want it to display. All right. Well, then we'll talk to Owen and see if we can get that added. Well, no, it's it's just a it's a Mintcast website thing, so it would really just yeah. fall on me to change it. Uh, oh, so, okay. Hey, hey, Leo! You should fix that. What? But I don't think it's broken. That's that's what that's what I think I need y'all to decide on because well, I don't think about in, this? Um, in the majority of podcast is catchers the same, is it broken. If anybody else is having the same problem, just email us mintcast at mintcast.org and we'll implement that change. It doesn't seem like it would be a big deal to do the change. It won't. And be. if it's going to help out a lot of people, then then let, let's do it. Otherwise, yeah, especially folks that are using Gpotter, is there a way in Gpotter to sort chronologically as opposed to alphabetically? That I mean, it may just be as simple as that. But coming from Brad, I suspect it's not that simple. All right. Next up, William T. He says, "Leo, check out this low-profile Red Dragon Shrapnel K589. Quiet reds, silent and linear. Still expecting OpenRGB to get supported." Okay, William, you were like. Two days too late. I purchased the uh, the Keychron K3 two days before you sent this email. Check it out. Here's the reason why I think I would have still gone with the Keychron K3. One thing I um, uh, I mentioned. Is this one I think sold on out. Sh- 
Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. The, okay. Two things. Well, I can't do the K589 uh, because, uh, number one, it sold out. But number two, it um, it's it has a tin key. And as I mentioned before, that makes me put my right hand way far out there and it hurts my shoulder. Uh, I'm an old now, guy now, apparently. I like the 10 key and I think this keyboard looks awesome. Now, I wouldn't go for the red switches, but gross. Yeah, that is, that is a good looking <laughs> good looking keyboard. So, it's uh it's cousin the K621 is the same thing, same switches, same everything but 10 keyless. So, if I went with one, it would be the K621, which is just the 10 keyless version of what you recommended. Um but the other thing is open RGB support. I really despise having to install software to handle my lights on my things. Um, in Windows, you can you can do it, but it's insane. I have to go install a Corsair this, and then a Logitech, a Logitech this, and then the Red Dragon one, and then I have to go get the Corsair one, and then I have to get the Crucial one, and then I have to also get the Razer one. And th- this has done the same thing to me uh, with my video card purchasing as um i mean the same thing as as the video card purchasing i buy amd stuff because i don't want to deal with it i want it to just work the keychron k3 is fully supported changing all the lights individual keys if you want to all within the keyboard all stored internally on the firmware and i never have to worry about whether or not open open rgb supports it there is a quirk where i have to go in and uh change a module uh, it's like the Apple something or another module. I have to turn it off and then the function keys work right. But I mean, I would much rather have to fiddle with a text file than have to hope that uh, OpenRGB supports my thing. Though, it's still a really nice looking keyboard though. Uh, have you yeah. seen this? You you really need to go take a look at this because um, it's fantastic. Look, it's got everything else that I wanted though. The low profile, mm. it's got, um, it, it's missing the tin key. Mm. I have a friend that absolutely will not buy a keyboard. I don't care if it's the best keyboard on the entire market. It could be on super sale. It could be basically free. He would say no, unless it has this silly little scrolly thing for the volume. Straight up, that is the one killer feature for him. Otherwise, he will absolutely not buy it. But Build your own. And well, that, I mean, if they come with the little scrolly thing, sure. But, I mean, it's got Bluetooth. It's got... Um, uh, a ton of different lighting modes. It's got it's ten keyless. This particular one is uh, it's seven millimeters smaller. Now you're you're gonna have to let me know how well you're able to use the Bluetooth functionality with a Linux system over a long period of time. Uh, outside of battery, it works fine. Um, there are some other issues, like when you stop using the keyboard for a while, and so it disconnects oh, from the computer, the sleep mode and then it thing. tries to reconnect. Uh, I've had a lot of issues with that. I'd like to know if anybody else is having similar issues. Okay, I'll try the sleep thing on the on the keychron because I do know that it goes to sleep eventually, and you can change that using like key combos or whatever. Um, so yeah, okay, I'll report back on that uh, next show. The ten key problem I just avoid by being left-handed. Oh well, that that would fix my problem too. <laughs> I got to unlearn thirty something years of uh, using my right hand dominantly. <laughs> And I also like to have uh, the 10 key because I use it for window tiling in XFCE. Yeah, and so there's there's functionality there that I'm okay with losing. I would rather not, but, I mean, my shoulder says no. <laughs> All right, so next up, Henry. Yeah, I noticed Joe landed me with the longest one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whoops. <laughs> so Henrik uh, 
said, walking in the Lake District has been on my wish list for a few decades. He's, I think he's referring back to my holiday that I talked about on the last show. Eventually, one day, I've been a day trip along the wall, and I'm assuming he's talking about Hadrian's Wall, uh, and been on a trip to Newcastle area uh, numerous times on business. Uh, returning to the northern area for walking in the Lake District is something I look forward to. That's great. Yeah, you'll really love it when you when you get eventually get there, Henry. It's a great place. So he goes on to talk about Haiku OS. Uh, about two years ago, I read the book. In the beginning was the command line by Neil Stevenson. Um, it's uh, a funny read from uh, a funny e- essay from 1999, and can be found free to download on the internet. Not at least he talks about BEOS, and I quote, The ideal OS for me would be one that had a well-designed GUI that was easy to set up and use, but that included uh, terminal windows where I could revert to the command line interface and run GNU software when it made sense. A few years ago, B Incorporated, invented exactly that OS. It is called BEOS. As Haiku is inspired by BEOS, I became curious about Haiku after reading the book. I flashed a USB uh, with uh, the Beta 2 ISO as well. As uh, at the time uh, night, sorry, as well as the at the time nightly build. I tried several times on a Lenovo, Lenovo IdeaPad, 100S dash uh, 14 LBR, and I think Pad T430S. The boot process never completed. I did some research, but not that deep. I tweeted with Moss recently. He's also given it some attempts with the same result as for me. Well, I can say I tried running it up in a virtual machine, and I got exactly the same problem. <laughs> so mm. uh, no, it booted up for me on VM. Heiko is KVM. Oh, I, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it going. <laughs> nice. Uh, did you use KVM or VMware? I, don't, uh, I think I was trying GNOME boxes at the time. So, so KVM K- underneath. Yeah, yeah, KVM. I suggest you to try the like virtual manager, virtual machine manager, which connects to KVM directly. Right. I think. Cool. Anyway, to go on, uh, Heinrich says Beta Three was released earlier this summer, and I gave it a try today. To my surprise, Haiku started on both machines above. Wi-Fi connection was no issue. I played a couple of minutes with the live USB tonight. Checked the uh, depot, started to read the uh, introduction guide. I am inspired to look more into it. Not that it's uh, a ready OS like uh, Mint, but it's uh, cool. It exists and it's in active development. Yeah. I'm happy to hear if you give it a try. And, of course, if distro hoppers test it as well, well, we'll, we'll have to talk to our resident uh, really Dale. serious distro hopper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, anyway, he then talks about Debian 11 Bullseye. I also enjoyed your innards about Debian 11 Bullseye and LMDE. I installed the Cinnamon version, and, yes, it is Cinnamon 4. I still prefer Mint, but Debian is indeed the OS to trust upon. And who knows, I may use it uh, more daily one day. Yeah, 
It's cool. I've run, I've run LMDE. Yeah, it's a nice distro. Anyone else got anything to say about that? I really appreciate Debian for what they're doing. Like mm-hmm. for five years stability and then releasing a new version. Yeah, cool. Yep. I'm I'm pretty interested in uh, in trying out Haiku OS mm, just to see. I mean, what what's what's different about it? Why would you want to use that over uh, over something that that certainly works? But um, one thing is Windows ninety eight feels. <laughs> oh yeah, I did see yeah. the screenshots, and that's that's pretty spot on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely Windows ninety eight. Anyway, should we move on? Let's. Yes, sir. We'll head down to check this out. Uh, check this out. Um, let's take a look at the first link. Nishan, you were talking about packages? Packages, pkgs.org. You will get like every repository of every distribution. Not all the Linux distribution, mm. but all, one of the mainstream Linux distributions. Like some of the mainstream. Oh, they've, they've got FreeBSD in here. So uh, not just Linux distributions. You know what they don't have in here? Haiku. <laughs> Haiku, it will take some time, I think. Yeah, maybe so. But you know what does have Haiku? The old Linux version website. Ah, true, true. Does uh, I wonder if DistroWatch lists... Oops, if I could spell it. Uh, what's that? I think they do. Oh, they do? Ah. Is it on the, uh, is it on the list? It says Haiku it's number Progress 60. Report. So they have it in the headlines for sure. Which one? Oh, it is. 60. Number 60. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, it's pretty far up there. It's above Red Hat. <laughs> that's cool. Um, that's really cool. So that's that will work. Haiku is there. I think that makes it a, an actual contender then, right? So now, now somebody has to actually try it. But um, with my newfound extra time, maybe I will. So the, the next thing on the list is SysZ. Now, I haven't gotten enough chance to actually test this out for real. But SysZ looks to be a terminal-based UI for managing system D everything. All the units, all the targets, all the everything. If you need to turn them on or off or change their status or anything like that, you can do that with SysZ. So I'm really keen to just pop this on and install. It doesn't look like you really need anything outside of FZF. Bash and Awk, which the last two you've already got on pretty much every system ever, um, since the Bash requirement is 4.3, and that was released in 2009. So I'm going to assume everybody I'm talking to right now likely has the right version of Bash. Uh, if you don't have Awk, it's super easy to install, and you just download the binary, uh, add it, uh, add the executable bit, and run it, and see how that goes. So um, I'll likely have a little bit of an update on the next episode of Mintcast on how well this went. Um, not that I need it, but I do enjoy a little GUI, like the NMT UI, Network Manager TUI. When you have no GUI, it's nice to have a text-based UI to fall back on. So this is, is this available on Arc? Because that's where it would be useful, I believe. It's available everywhere, Nishant. You just download the binary and run it. So it'll work on anything just about. Because Arc is pure uh, CLI on installation, in which mm-hmm. you need to activate the wireless drivers using system CTL. Right. Okay. So you wouldn't be able to do that. You would have to install wireless or uh, turn on the wireless stuff, uh, and then you could get SysZ. So you still have to be familiar with um, system D in that sense. But after that, you can you can do it all TUI, which is kind of nice. All right. And old Linux versions. Tony, what? 
yeah, uh, we were talking about what kernel we first started on. So I went and mm-hmm. had a look on uh, the internet while we were talking last night and came up with this place, old versions of Linux. Uh, I've put a link in the show notes, and it goes right back to 1994 with Warp 3. Wow. So, uh, it doesn't have every single ISO ever produced of every single distro, but you know there's a good selection out there from various from each of the years g- going back. Yeah, and I mean you would you would find um, a distro that was released around the distro that you used if it's not on the list, and you yeah. can make an educated guess as to what kernel you might have run. And in my case, um, I suppose I was running on Slackware eight. At the time, which would have put me at about Linux kernel 2.2, likely. So, yeah, 2.2. So I, 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 uh, you know, I quite like it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna download a couple of ISOs and maybe boot them up in uh, boxes and see if they'll work. And you know, have a nostalgia fix. (laughs) Yeah, that's the more interesting point: is that you can, you can run all the stuff that uh, that you ran back in the day. Yeah, I already ran three of the classic ISOs. From that, nice. The the, the only the only uh, thing you won't be able to do is download updates or any software because all the links will right. be broken. Yeah, those repos <laughs> no, are gone. No, uh, trusty tar. <laughs> it let me download updates to it. Wow, wow. Hmm. Tar was fourteen oh four. Yes, fourteen dot oh four LTS. I think they're still in. Yeah, they're they're in extended service right now. So maybe maybe. Oh, yeah, you might be able be to get updates for that. Yeah. I doubt if you'll get updates for Linux Mint 3, though. Right. <laughs> I ran Fedora 3. I don't think I'll get updates for that. Yeah. Fedora Core 3 and Red Hat Linux, uh, the original Red Hat Linux 8 yeah. before yeah. Fedora. It's cool. Go check it out. So what about uh, pseudo-edit? What is this? Debian. Debian, it's there from 2 till now, 10. Debian 2 all the way till 10. Debian has those uh, extra ISO images with extra software. Mm-hmm. For example, if you look at the DVD images, are like uh, three, uh, four to five yeah, gigabyte images for each them, version. Yeah. So oh, I wonder yeah. if they had those for a very old versions, because then you could actually install software without having to use to use the repos for Debian. Yes. Uh, so the one which I told you, Red Hat Linux eight, it has four CDs. It had four CDs when I checked that website. That's about it, right. When I tried to install it, it asked me to put in CD2 on a VM, and I don't know how to do that. Oh, yeah. You should just be able to pop out the uh, the ISO and put in the new ISO. You have to download all the CDs, though. Well, Mandra- okay. Mandrake 9 has got CDs all the way up to CD7. <laughs> That's a lot of software. Did they put the entire repo onto CDs? Yep, it's basically a snapshot of the repo, and you can install all the stuff from the CDs, but you have to make sure that your repo list actually lists the CD. Otherwise, it'll tell you, hey, that repo doesn't exist. So, yeah. yep, but uh, those versions are also frozen in time. So, cool thing is you can install whatever OpenOffice version existed back then. Okay, lastly, who put pseudo edit in? Uh, I just managed to sneak, uh, sneak that one in Sneaky. last minute because I remembered right. watching a video from Brody, uh, Brody Robertson about this command. It bas- it's basically an alias for sudo-e, which is uh, which enables you to edit uh, config files uh, without giving the editor sudo privileges. So the way it works, instead of uh, sudo editor name file, you would just uh, write sudo edit and the file name. 
and it creates a copy of the file which ca- you can edit without sudo privileges. So, for example, if you edit with nano or vim, the edit program itself doesn't get sudo privileges, which is a more secure way of editing config files. And when when you Very save cool. it, it replaces the uh, temporary one. No, it replaces the old one with the new temporary one. So you do need to input your password, but you don't give the editor full pseudo privileges, which is really cool, I think. Right. That's pretty smart, actually. Yep, definitely. So you can uh, sidestep some bugs in the text editor by doing stuff like this, which is really cool. All right. Well, that means uh, we've come to the end of the show. So, uh, next time, we've got a couple of things. Let me see, what, Sunday the 3rd of October? Is that right? <laughs> next episode of Mintcast, two, three, three, I keep saying two, I keep saying two, 371, will uh, hit your podcast um, live streams on Sunday the 3rd, your podcast, cat, blah, 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 podcast catchers on the 6th. So, Sunday the 3rd of October, you lot going to be doing anything with your clocks before then, or... Uh... Oh, I have to check. Uh, I don't think that's coming yeah. up yet. No, I just wanted to check when it when it might happen, because we don't do ours until the end of October. We do ours, like, two weeks before yours, at most. Right. Okay. Yeah, my phone tells me uh, when I wake up and the time is wrong and I feel weird. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> how I know. <laughs> uh, for me, it's the 31st of October. Okay, so we got a little bit of time. Yeah, yeah that's right, when so, it'll be for us as well. All right, so next episode will be recorded Sunday, the 3rd of October, and the next live stream will be September Saturday, September the 25th at 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time. Everything's at 2 p.m. Everything is at 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time. Uh, but if you need, you can click on the links in the website to get that converted over to your time zone. Um, now that we're all over the world, uh, that link is going to be really, really important. And uh, don't forget, uh, next episode, as far as I can tell, is going to be my last. 371 will be the last episode that I host. Yay! Uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Oh, uh, what's Tony going to do when I'm sick? No, no, He's no. going to have to host. Oh, Josh is going to host. help. <laughs> Might not be a live stream that night unless Ooh, I can boy. work it out. <laughs> well, besides all of that, we'll get it figured out. But until then, Joe, where can we get more of you? Uh, you can catch me on a couple other podcasts. I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show, which you can find at tllts.org. I'm also on the Linux Lugcast, which you can find at linuxlugcast.com. You can send me a message on MeWe or you can send me an email, jb at mintcast.org. I've also added a Kofi. So if you want to buy me a coffee, please, you know, click on click on the link in the show notes and buy me a coffee. Yay. Bo's not here this time around, but undercastnetwork.com for all of his shows, as well as Undercast Collective on YouTube. Tony, what about you? Yeah, you can find me... Uh... Hack, on Hacker Public Radio, I'm host ID338. If you want to go and listen to some of my old shows on there, I'm on Twitter at TonyH1212. I'm TH at Mintcast.org and DistroHoppersDigest at gmail.com. Very cool. And the other Josh, Josh Hawk, 
Uh, you can get him at joshontech at mintcast.org, at joshontech on Twitter and pretty much everywhere else. And of course, check out the Mintcast spinoff Crowbar Kernel Panic for all of your gaming uh, conversation. Norbert, what about you? Well, if we have, if you'll have our Mintcast email addresses set up by by the time this episode comes out, then it's probably Norbert at mintcast.org. Uh, sorry, com. Is it com? Org. It's no, com. you're right. It's org. Uh, so okay. Norbert, yeah, Norbert at mintcast.org will be the email. If you're watching the live stream and you try to send him an email in the next 24 hours, it will probably bounce. But um, yeah, by the by the time the show airs, technically, which will be on a Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, somewhere in there in the U.S., um, that email should be there. So if you're listening to this in your podcast catcher, go ahead and send him an email. And I don't really have any uh, social media where I post in English, but if by any chance there are some Hungarian-speaking people in the audience, van egy YouTube csatornám, Valrusz néven, Duplavével, mint a Rosmárcsok Magyar Eszel. And then you can... All of the videos are in Hungarian. I I do plan to uh, start an English version of my channel at some point. Uh, I mainly do... Uh, uh, educational videos about biology and stuff. So that might happen sometime in the next year or so. This right here is why we need the babblefish. That way I yep. can uh, yep. I can understand everything from every language all the time. Yeah, I I could be sharing uh, <laughs> I could be sharing state secrets and you wouldn't know. Wouldn't have any clue. Nope. <laughs> and Josh, what about you? Uh, at metal underscore foss on Twitter for now. That is the best video name I ever heard. <laughs> oh yeah, that one's good. Nishant, what about you? My current temp email address is indianmincasthost at gmail.com. It is uh, recon.ghost on GitHub if you want to collaborate on a project, open source project. Maverick00783 on Steam if you want to play games. Again, similar username uh, recon.ghost on Instagram if you want to follow for travel pics. And it is Nishan Mishra on Facebook if you want to connect and collaborate. And on top of that, don't forget, um, Nishat mentioned Discord. Uh, Norbert and Josh are also on Discord, so you can send all of your negative feedback directly to them on Discord. <laughs> yeah, appreciate that, Leo. <laughs> of course, of course. That all the negative feedback will be coming from me anyway. It's it's fine. I, I know where to find you. So um, as for me, uh, LeoChavez.org and at LeoChavez on Twitter. Uh, if you're doing the Mastodon thing, I think I'm going to try and uh, do a little cross-posting. So at Leo at C.im on Mastodon. Uh, but of course, if um, if you want to hear more of me after I leave the show after two, three, three, three seventy one, uh, you can find me over at linuxuserspace.show. But before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Owen Peary for our audio production. Josh Lowe for all of his work on the website. Hobstar for our logo. InitRD for the animated Discord logo. And Londoner for our time sync. Bytemark Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org and our mobile server. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. And uh, the Linux Mint development team, of course, for the fine distro we love to talk about every fortnight. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. And Co. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at Mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at 
podcastthemes.com for our theme music. And thanks for listening to this episode of The Mid- Da-da-da-da-da-da-da! Done! Okay. So, anybody quitting?